0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Jesus never referred to his followers as Christians, not one time. He called them something else. He gave them several brands. He gave them several word pictures. But he never called his followers Christians. That came a lot later. And unfortunately, we have settled for the word Christian. And the reason for that, I think, over time is that it's it's easy to be a Christian because it's it's you can make Christian anything you want it to be. It's not defined in the New Testament, so you can just kind of label yourself that and go on, and, and it sounds good to be able to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and nobody's going to argue with that because they can't take you to any place in the New Testament and say, well, that, but that's not Christian because the word is only used three times, and even then, not well. Outsiders use the term Christian for Christ followers, usually in a derogatory manner, Jesus actually gave his followers a different label or a different brand. And they took that label so seriously, I want you to look at what they did. If you were to go to the city of Rome today, on just about every single building, at the top of every single building in the city of modern Rome, you find crosses. There are even crosses in the emperor's gate There are crosses, and that's at the Colosseum. That's the emperor's gate at the Colosseum. There are also crosses at the slave's gate of the Colosseum. There are crosses everywhere in Rome. And that that should make an impact on your thinking and on, on how you see your faith and how you see Jesus. Because I want you to think back with me for a second. This is a staggering thing to think about. And if you're not a religious person, if you would not call yourself a a Christian or a disciple, a church person, here's here's a little mystery of history for you, something that you ought to think about. If we were to go back in time to maybe 64 or 65 A.D., Nero has just burned the city of Rome. He needs a scapegoat. And so he decides he's going to blame it on this little knockoff Jewish cult, this little outpost religion in Palestine called the Christians, so he announces that the Christians have burned the city of Rome, and he sends his henchmen all throughout the city, rounding up Christians, so that he could burn them at something called Nero's Circus. Now, it wasn't really a circus, it was basically an arena. He would, here's one of the things that Nero would do, he would have Christians dipped in pitch or tar. And then he would have them hung in his gardens and lit on fire so that they would provide the light for spectators and himself to watch the games that would take place in his garden. That's what he did to Christians. He also fed Christians to the lions, basically making it a sport. Christians were persecuted by Nero. Now imagine that we would go back to that time 64 or 65 a.d when all this is going on we go outside the city of rome and we visit a farm and in the back of the farm is a is a barn And when we walk into that barn what we find huddled down in one of the stalls are three christian families that have fled the city of rome And they know they will never be able to go back to the city ever again This has been their home, but they can't go back to their home because of what is happening to Christians in that city. They have lost everything they own. And if anybody finds out that they are Christians, they will be rounded up and they'll be taken back into the city and they will be put in front of Nero. Whoever finds them is going to be paid a pretty handsome price for these people. And they would bring them into the city, introduce them to Nero, and again, they would be tortured and eventually put to death. And let's suppose that we sat down with them there in that barn on some straw with, the, with these three families and the children are crying and the men are scared to death. They don't know what's going to happen next and they don't know what to do and we say this to them. Did you know that in a matter of time, over a period of time, one day the city of Rome everywhere will be adorned with crosses? And these crosses won't be Wooden crosses, these crosses will be affixed to the top of buildings. They will be on everything from buildings to signs. They'll be on the sides of highways. You'll see crosses everywhere in the city of Rome. And these crosses will not represent Rome, and they will not represent crucifixions. They will represent one crucifixion that happened for a Jewish carpenter. The very man that you worship, Jesus Christ the Lord. And one day this movement that you are a part of is going to become so broad and so internationally known that one day the city that you fled from, the city where fled from, the city where Nero lives, the epicenter of the persecution of the disciples of Christ, one day there will be more crosses there representing the memory of Jesus Christ your Lord than any city in the world. One day, all those temples in the city that you fled. They will be tourist attractions. A day is coming when no one will worship Jupiter. The day is coming when Christians will make pilgrimages to Rome to visit where Nero's Circus currently is, where your brothers and sisters are being put to death, and instead of an arena, they will find a cathedral built in the memory of Peter, the fisherman, who will become the leader of this movement that you call The Way but will one day be known As Christianity can you imagine what would run through their minds they would look at you like you were a fool they would think you were crazy and they would say no Rome is forever Jupiter is forever yes we believe in Jesus the Messiah but his movement is a small movement and we're one of just a several dozen people in the city and there's no way that Rome will ever turn upside down And surrender to this new fledgling movement that we call the way there's just no way that's ever going to happen and yet within 300 years which is really not a lot of time there are crosses everywhere how did that happen well let me tell you how it didn't happen it didn't happen because the jesus followers decided to be christians It happened because the Jesus followers decided not to lower themselves to the common denominator of the word Christian, but because the followers of Jesus embraced the teachings of Jesus at such a significant level, and they took so seriously the labels that he gave them that over time, and you really can't argue with this, over time, they changed the world. So what are you doing? And what am I doing? And why would we settle for the word Christian to describe us? A word we can't even really define. Today, I want to read the speech that got it all going. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5. This was the speech that everybody rallied around. This was the beginning of the movement. This was early on in the Jesus ministry. And you have, you've heard these words before, but I I want to pitch it uh, today in a little bit different context. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people, had gathered around Jesus at this moment, and he realized this is the moment to lay the groundwork and the foundation. This is the beginning of the movement. I'm going to introduce this group of people to a new value system and the worldview and the habits and behaviors that are going to turn this world upside down. Are you ready for the revolutionary speech that changed everything, the reason that you and I are here today? Matthew chapter 5, here's where it all began. Verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And now I'm going to give you the revolutionary, world-changing, shut-down-the-Roman-Empire speech that Jesus gave. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To which somebody in that crowd has got to be thinking, really? That's all you've got? And Jesus would say, no, there's more. Blessed are the meek, or the gentle, or the humble, or the considerate, for they will inherit the earth. Somebody raises their hands. Jesus, you know, can I interrupt? i got a question. Meek? really meek that's what you got are you from around here do you know what's going on in the world around here meek you know do you know anything about rome do you know what we haven't had our freedom in in dozens and dozens and dozens of years do you know where meekness has gotten us as a people and where it will get us blessed are the meek they're going to inherit the earth Jesus, we can't even control our own land or our own nation. Meek? Jesus continued, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. That'll get them. Be merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. And again, somebody raises their hand. Okay, Jesus. Another quick question. Um, Peacemakers? You really think we're going to be able to retake our world and our land and our nation through peacemaking? Come on, Jesus. You know what happens to people who try to make peace with the Roman Empire? It swallows them up. You make peace with the Roman Empire, and they just engulf you. They annex you. They just take you in, and everything that you were and everything you were about simply just kind of disappears, and they're consumed, and and you've just become one more piece of the tax-paying horde that funds this machine called the Roman Empire. Peacemaking, Matthew, you writing this down? Peacemaking. He's talking about peacemaking, Matthew's thinking to himself, you know, I'm not even sure this is worth writing down. Where is this going? What in the world have we signed up for? Verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. (laughs) And I think Jesus looked up and looked out over the crowd, and he heard exactly what you're hearing right now, silence. And I think the crowd was just kind of like, you know, just kind of staring at Jesus like, you know, I don't know, maybe he'll do a miracle. You know, maybe this thing gets better from here because right now it's not that great because this thing's really not getting any traction at all. Really, Jesus, this is the start of something new? I mean, all that stuff you just talked about, that's the start of this new revolution? That's going to change the world? So, Jesus, before you go on, can we just do a real quick review? So we're basically poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for a reward in heaven. Is that it? Is that who we are? Poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for a reward in heaven. And you think this is going somewhere? <laughs> and maybe Jesus smiled. Maybe he chuckled, you know, and... and I don't know, but here's what happened. 300 years later, the message of Jesus is everywhere. And nobody's worshiping Jupiter anymore. So I think Jesus kind of backs up and he says, okay, don't worry about that stuff. You know, you can't remember all that anyway. Let me give you two word pictures of who you are. Yeah, you're all that stuff I just described, but let me put it into practical terms. His next phrase is this. You are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. You're the salt of the earth. Now, everybody in Jesus' audience knew exactly what salt was. Salt was a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, and just in case you don't know, this is the definition of a preservative. A substance added to food to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. Because, see, when there's no preservative, things decompose. When there's no preservative, things rot. When there's no preservative, things stink. A substance added to food to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. So here's what Jesus was trying to say to his audience, and here's what he's trying to say to us this morning. You are the preservative of the entire earth. That's what we are if you don't preserve the earth rots if you don't preserve culture stinks if you don't preserve things go in a very negative direction and imagine the world into which jesus spoke he's speaking into a world where might made right if you wanted to know what the right thing to do was you just looked at the biggest army that's how you decided what was right Because the guy with the longest sword was the guy that made the rules and he decided what was right. Moral issues really weren't the issue. Ethical issues really weren't the issue. It was who has the longest sword and we'll listen to him because he's the one who has the, the might and he makes it right. Women had no rights. Children had even less rights. Mercy, compassion, generosity were not virtues. They were things for the weak. They did not even use words like that in a positive way. You know, we describe someone, we say, you know, they're so merciful. They're they're, they're so compassionate. They're so generous. Those were not good words in Jesus' day. It was a world we can't imagine. The only way you can imagine it is to visit some countries today that still operate with that kind of worldview, and they still exist. What we can't fully appreciate in the Western world, and certainly as Americans we have trouble grasping, uh, is what we consider common human decency. What we assume is common human decency is not common. It is what we have been taught. It is what we've learned. What we consider as how Americans are is not really how Americans are as much as it is how Americans learn to be. We still reflect these fundamental things that Jesus taught that went all the way around the world into cultures everywhere. We can't imagine that women would be treated as something less than men. We can't, we, we don't, can't imagine that. And there have been times in this country where that's been the case. And somebody who had a conscience and somebody who was informed by, by a worldview with, with Jesus in mind said, you know what, that's not right. They, they shouldn't be treated that way. And we've got to change that. And we fixed it. We intuitively know that one person should never have ownership of another person, that there's something inherently wrong with a person being treated as property. We know that intuitively. And eventually, our national conscience caught up with the reality of that truth. We know that children are precious. But why do we think children are precious when in other cultures children are not precious at all? Why do we think that someone is generous and they give extra help to those who are in need? Why do we say that's good instead of weak? Why do we call compassion good and not weak? Why do we applaud mercy? Why do we stop and applaud the person who risks their life or risks their income To save someone else but we do in this country they're heroes in this country why do we think that's good it's it's not human nature it's not common human decency it's the reflection of a worldview that says there is one single god and eventually you will give an account for your life to that one single god And we understand that through that worldview, God loves every single person, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. We know that because we've learned that through that worldview. Male, female, children, there is an underlying belief system that came ultimately from ancient Judaism and then was expanded upon and it exploded through the teachings of Jesus. And the first century disciples grabbed a hold of that, and they believed it. And Jesus said, you have no standing, but you are the last stand. You have no political clout, I understand that, but you're the last stand. You have no political standing, no financial standing, no one is paying attention, but you, and I think he pointed at the crowd as they were gathered that day, he said, you are the last stand, you are the salt of the earth. And if you don't do your job, the earth rots. And if you think it's bad now, give up and go with the current, and you'll see how bad things can really get, because it'll stink. We can't fully appreciate this, because we benefit every single day from a worldview that says men, women, and children have value. That men, women, and children are somehow made in the image of God. We're informed by that. And so we believe that, and we we ascribe a value to men, women, and children that other cultures do not. It's not intuitive. We hear about human trafficking. We hear about slavery in other countries. We hear about how children are traded as property, bought and sold, and we think, how could anybody treat somebody else that way? It's very simple. They do not see the world the way you and I see the world. And the reason they don't is because they've been taught to see the world differently than the way you and I see the world. Jesus knelt and he said, I want to teach you to pray. And when you pray, you say, our father, our father. And all of a sudden, God becomes a God with a personality, something that they'd never really experienced before. All of a sudden, God is no longer Jupiter or some pantheon of gods, that just kind of played with humans, but somehow through Jesus we learn that God loves us and he loves you and he loves me and suddenly I have value and I have worth and I had better be careful how I treat you and you had better be careful how you treat me. And so Jesus gathers these people together and he's saying, by this one thing, by this one thing will people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how they're going to know nothing else and jesus said that's new that's different and if you allow it to it's going to take hold you are the salt preservers of the earth that's what he said to the early disciples that's what he says to us and then he said this not only that verse 14 you are the light of the world to which we say you know i don't want to be the light of the world Jesus, I just want to be a Christian and go to heaven when I die and, and leave me alone. I don't want to be salt and light. I don't want to be responsible for all that. I prayed the magic prayer, you know. I, I, I just want to go back and raise my family and go to heaven when I die. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't know who taught you that. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. I don't know where all this other stuff is coming from, but this is what you are. If you follow me, this is what you are. You are salt. You are light. And here's what's strange about this. Do you know how big the world was to that group of people back in Jesus' day? The world was small. No one traveled more than about 15 miles in their whole life. They basically stayed within a 15-mile little circle. I mean, some people did, but a lot of people didn't travel beyond that. They didn't know about North and South America. There were continents that hadn't been discovered yet there are continents with churches on them now that they didn't even know about back then because he was serious you are the light of the world a world you don't even know anything about a town he goes on a town built on a hill and the greek word they're built that's not the best translation Uh, translators like the word placed because it's intentional that word placed it's it's a it's an intentional thing A town placed on a hill cannot be hidden. See, here's what you know about that part of the world. It's flat, it's got a, it's a little hilly maybe. Um, There aren't a ton of trees there, a lot of shrubs. And so they built towns on hills and they built them out of limestone. So when the sun would shine on that limestone, it kind of gleamed. It almost had a reflective quality to it. And at night when they would light the city, they could see the city far off in the distance. And Jesus said, a town placed on a hill cannot be hidden. You, he said, are like a strategically placed town. That's why you are the light of the world. You have been strategically placed, to which we say, no, no, I'm not strategically placed. No, I, see, I was transferred here from Georgia And i didn't even really want to come here but now i've lost my job and i'm stuck here and i'm just trying to save enough money so i can move back home i'm trying to get back home jesus said no it may seem random to you you may think the circumstances of your life are random you are a strategically placed city and you say no no see no see i'm i'm dating this guy in pittsburgh and he says let's move further south so we moved to this town and, and he dumped me for his boss, and now I'm stuck here, and I don't even want to be here. Good grief, and I'm not strategic. I'm just trying to save up enough money so I can go back home. And Jesus says, no, if you're my follower, it's not random. I have strategically placed you. If you're my follower, you are light. You have been strategically placed where you are. Verse 15, neither do people put a light, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way as they would place a city on a hill, in the same way they would place light on a stand, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. And then here's how we are tempted to read the next part, that they may see your church attendance and say, dang, he's a good Christian right? I mean, that's what we think. I go to church. I'm going to heaven. Leave me alone. I don't want to be salt and light. Don't bother me with all that stuff. I just want to be a Christian because I don't even know what that is except my mama told me I was one. See, that's how we read this. Listen to what Jesus said to this group of people who never went anywhere and never really had anything. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying, I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see your good deeds, they don't say, You know, he's a nice guy. He's so nice. I want them to see your good deeds and say, Are you kidding? Who is that generous? Who is that merciful? They keep bringing us food. I got sick, and I hardly know these people, but they found out that I was sick, and they got worried about our family, and so they've been bringing food to us. Who does that? These are the nicest people I know, and they're church people, which kind of scares me because I've got my mind made up about Christians, but good grief, they're the kindest, most generous people And I was at work and my boss is a Christian and that kind of weirds me out working for a guy like that and I screwed up big time and it cost our company a lot of money and he called me into his office and he sat me down and he said, now as you know, I'm a Christian and I believe in second chances and I'm going to give you a second chance and woo, you know, I don't know about the Christian part but he basically forgave me is what he did and he didn't fire me because I would have fired me. If I'd been in his shoes, I'd have fired me. But he didn't fire me. I I don't know what's up with him. Jesus said, I want your good deeds to be so extraordinary. I want them, I want people to connect the dots between your lifestyle and your Father in heaven. I want you to be a dot connector. I want your light to shine so bright that it outshines everybody else that it would make people go, what is up with you? What, what informs the way you are? Why are you the way you are? And when it's appropriate, I want you to connect the dots for them. Now, you can't do that all the time, but once in a while you can, so that they begin to give credit not to you for your good deeds, but that they begin to give credit to your Father who is in heaven. See, some of you are great at this. Some of you are just happy to be going to heaven when you die, You're a Christian. And Jesus said, I never called you to be a Christian. I called you to be salt and light. You're salt. You preserve things. You're light. You you point the way. You light things up. And the Jesus followers in the first century, they got after this. They went down to the river and they found children that had been abandoned by people that didn't want anything to do with them, and they brought them into their homes, and they had, they had their own children already, but they brought them into their homes, and they raised those kids. When the plagues broke out in the small towns and villages, everybody fled, and the pagan priests were the first to flee. See, what would happen is, plagues would break out, there'd be these things all over your body, and they would go run into the pagan priest, and the pagan priest would take one look at these people and the stuff that was on them, and he'd say, dear Lord, You know, there's a plague in the city, and he would go home and say, honey, pack the bags, we're getting out of here, there's a plague in the city. But the Christians, the disciples, stayed in the city and cared for those people. And they cared for people that they barely knew through the difficulty of a plague, and many of them lost their lives. And people began asking questions, what is up with these people? And do you know what they noticed? They noticed, hey, these Jesus followers, they're not even afraid to die. They know something we don't know. They are not afraid to die. They're not even afraid of death. And they lived their life in such a way that the pagan Roman Greek community began to connect the dots. And in a matter of just a few hundred years, the world turned upside down. Not because of good preaching or teaching, not because of anything other than powerful living. Men and women who took the challenge seriously to be salt and light, salt and light. So here's what I think Jesus would say to us today. I think Jesus would say, don't settle for Christian. Are you kidding me? Be salt and light. Don't settle for Christian. What is that anyway? What, I mean, what is that? Be salt and be light. Be just irritating enough that people will be paying attention because you, di- you live a different kind of lifestyle. And every once in a while, you may have to speak up and say, you know what? I don't think that's such a good idea. Every once in a while, you may have to take somebody to coffee and sit them down and say, you know, it may be none of my business, but can I just offer you my perspective on something that's going on in your life right now? I realize it's none of my business, but I'm doing this because I want to help you. I'm just throwing it out there. Be a preserver. Be light through your lifestyle that points the way. Now, I know that as I talk about this, you begin to filter it through your life and where you are and your family and all that, and I get that, but let me turn it around, because the way to truly understand the significance of this is to think about your story. You see, the only reason you're a Christian, the only reason you're a Jesus follower, I know you know, after this series, we're going to be afraid to call ourselves Christians anymore. It's like, Fred's going to yell at us if we call ourselves Christians. But, you know, we'll move on to a new series and we'll forget about this, right? I mean, so, so, you know, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, here's what I know about you, even though I probably have, you know, not ever heard your entire story. You're a follower of Jesus because somebody was salt and light in your life. You're a Jesus follower because somebody, and they didn't necessarily mean to be, they might not have even been real intentional about it. In fact, they may not have even known that they were influencing you, but you came to Christ because of the influence of somebody else who was salt and light in your life. And they didn't feel like some strategically placed light to light your world. They didn't feel like that. They didn't consider themselves, they didn't, you know, they didn't say, I'm a city on a hill. They weren't saying that. And now you're a Christ follower and you might even say that them coming into your life was providential, but they didn't think that. They were just trying to live for Jesus. They didn't see themselves as a city on a hill, but that's exactly what they were. They didn't see themselves as salt, but that's exactly what they were. See, from our perspective as receivers, it seems so providential, but the men and women who influenced you, they weren't thinking like that. They were just being salt, and they were just being light. A person in my life, like a a Tony Harp or a, 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 a Nancy Harp, um trying to remember his last name because the only thing we ever called him was latonia flash (laughs) he was from latonia kentucky and his name was bob and we called him latonia flash he was an older guy and he used to try to play games with us younger kids and he you know he had bad heart and and at one point they told him he was going to die and he just kept on living and um, we just so looked up to the latonia flash and he made a huge impact on my life as a young 14 15 year old boy they didn't think they were cities on a hill they didn't think they were doing anything special but the way they lived their life and as committed as they were to me and as generous as they were to me and as i think back on a guy like wally henneman who who taught me things and if you'd have said wally are you a city on a hill do you think you're a light to the world he would say ah But every Sunday as a 4th grade boy or a 5th grade boy, I'd walk into his Sunday school classroom, he'd hand me a piece of gum, hey Brett, how you doing? Jesus loves you this morning. Huge impact on me. You think Wally thought he was a city on a hill? No. So students, high school students, college students, you are the salt of your university. You are the salt of... Of your campus you're the light of your high school and you say oh no i'm not i'm a freshman and i can't even find my locker real good yet i have no influence nobody knows my name no now i want you to listen if that was the thought that went through your mind you need to understand this salt always preserves and light always shows the way always Salt works even when you don't see it working, and light works even when you're not thinking about it. See, you walk into a room and the lights are on, you don't even think about the lights being on in the room. You're just tracking into whatever it is that you're thinking about, I'm going to do this thing. But the lights are on and it, it shows the way for you. You say, Brett, where I work, see, I really can't talk about religious things, and so I don't think I can be salt and light. No, salt always preserves light always shows the way if you're a jesus follower jesus would look at you and say you are the salt and light in that environment you are the light of that world let your good deeds shine in such a way that people begin to connect the dots between your extraordinary deeds and the fact that you are my follower and whenever everybody else says it's okay and you know it's not okay you don't do it, even if you're the only one who's not doing it, because you're salt. And everybody else says, well, this is just the way our industry works, and this is the way business is done. But it rubs, up, it rubs up against your ethics. And there's something in you that knows that's not the way we do it, that's not the way I should do it, and you just decide, you know what? Yes, they may ostracize me, they may make fun of me, And you may make them feel guilty, but that's okay. That is what salt does. Salt preserves. And you have no idea who's going to look back on that interaction and say, you know, there was this guy in my office. And I found out they were a Christian, and this is how they behaved, and I never forgot them. I never forgot them. And in my heart, I wanted to be like that, but I didn't have the guts to be like that. And I never told them that I wanted to be like that because I was too proud. I didn't want to come out like that. I never told them because I I thought it was going to be weird. I never told them, but I never forgot them. I can still remember them to this day. They were a little different, but it was a different that I liked and it was a different that I wanted to be. See, wherever you are, Jesus says, you are salt and light and salt always preserves and light always shows the way. See, here's what you and I don't know. You and I have no idea. We don't know who is on the verge of a breakthrough with Christ because of our influence. We don't have any idea. We don't know who's about to break through because we've been salt in their world, and we have in some way been a preserver for them. And you may never know the end of their story, and we may never know how our interaction with them Impacted them, but rest assured, salt always preserves, light always shows the way. So don't settle for Christian. Let's be the salt of the earth. Let's be the light of the world. Jesus said, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And when you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, It has the potential to change everything. Let's not settle for Christian. Let's ask God to make us more effective salt and more effective light. And as God answers that prayer, who knows what God might do in our families, in our communities, in our city, in our church, in our world. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we have just become so accustomed to this word Christian, and it's not in itself a bad word. It's not. It, we mean well when we use it and when we label ourselves that, but Father, it is so watered down. And, and if we're totally honest, in the culture we live in today, it's almost a cuss word to the outside world. People hear the word Christian and they just want to run. But Father, I don't think people run from salt. And they don't run from light. People run to the light. So Father, somehow we're trying to live out our life the way you live life. And it's hard. The culture, it's pervasive and it's strong and it's persuasive. and We're swimming up current. It's hard. God, I pray we wouldn't just lay down or give up because it's hard salt always preserves light always shows the way so father for the one in the room this morning that's got to walk into an office tomorrow and they're the only one and it's hard and they feel like giving up and they hide their light and they don't want anybody to know and they're just you know it's okay to be a Christian but to show their light now that's a whole different thing father I pray today you would move in them you would empower them they would be bold tomorrow Things would be different when they walk into the office tomorrow. And for that college kid that feels lost in his classroom and is afraid to speak up, I pray they would be the light. They would show the way. Their influence would be felt among their peers. God, you're so amazing. You give us this opportunity to represent you. Help us to not blow it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.